Good morning. I feel like I could just keep singing about uh, the gospel, about what God has done for me. It, uh, I mentioned in first service, I'd, I just imagine that I'm a leper and a beggar, and I've got blood on my hands because of the sin in my own life. And I lift them before Jesus and, and in awe wonder how you could be so kind to save a dog like me, that even the dogs eat from the master's table, and uh, that he would be so good to me and merciful and gracious to me, and I'll tell you what, that never gets old, that never gets old, and, uh, and like I said in the first service, I'm, I'm sorry my emotions may make some of you men feel uncomfortable, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm glad that we're we're thinking together about God's grace and about the goodness that He's shown us. Today, we're looking at uh, the book of Matthew. So if you want to, in your Bibles, uh, you could turn to Matthew chapter 13. It's really the end of chapter 13. Uh, most of you know that my, my family uh, is from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I grew up kind of all over the place, but eventually as a, as a young boy, I, we moved to Detroit, Michigan, where my mom and dad are from. So you can just imagine our family text chat last week, Sunday afternoon, when the Lions played the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Uh, the first half was great. It was really fun. Uh, I really wanted the Lions to win. I wanted the Lions to go to the Super Bowl, maybe even play the Chiefs. I thought that'd be amazing. Uh, that'd be so great. And, and my family knows that I'm rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, but I didn't mention that in the ch family chat. I, I was like sharing my condolences. I love you guys. It's okay next year. Who needs field points? You know, field goal points. This is, this is going to be great. I was so encouraging. I didn't mention the Chiefs, not once. And then to my surprise, my niece and nephew, who are huge Lions fans, posted on their Facebook page, the, 49er, the 49ers better beat the Chiefs. I was like, what, what's that about? Why, why are you so hostile? <laughs> what did the Chiefs ever do to you? You beat them at the beginning of the season. I don't know why you're so upset. Um, why not just the 49ers lose? I don't understand what the big deal is. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, that story is somewhat of a parable of the passage we're going to read today. Uh, just this summer in Psychology Today, it's a magazine, and I'm not saying I support everything it says and all that kind of stuff, but it's great to read some, some, some stuff. Last summer, they, they posted an article, and this is the title of the article, Are You Easily Offended? Are you easily offended? Anybody here easily offended? Just raise your hand. I don't, yeah. Yeah, and they gave two key points. Actually, they gave three, but I'm just going to share the two. Uh, they gave uh, two key points. People who get offended easily may perceive that their personal beliefs or identity are being threatened. You know, your truth, your identity, who you are, how you were raised, um, what's your background? How do you identify yourself? Who are you identified with? People get offended easily when they think that's being threatened. 
The second key uh, observation in, in the article is making assumptions about someone else's intentions can also make a person more reactive. So when you think that someone is doing something maliciously, wrongfully, hatefully, ignorant, you know, like on purpose, just not caring, ooh, that gets you riled up, doesn't it? When you think someone doesn't care, I'll tell you what, I know I'm not trying to offend anyone in this room. I don't want you to judge me. I have a hard time with people who litter. I have to like pray. Every time I'm driving down the road and I see someone throw garbage out their window, I have, there's a little thing in my heart that says, ah, ah, love them like Jesus. Love them like Jesus. Don't, don't forget. Because I think you're making a mess for someone else. The, the nature isn't going to pick that up and clean it. You know, you're probably killing a turtle or something. Don't do that. And, uh, and you know, when you, when you feel like someone is, is doing something just out of disregard to someone else, it's easily to feel offended. I don't know if you've ever had your personal beliefs or identity threatened. If you've ever had your tradition questioned, but it can really put you on the defense. You could really, you could really be easily what nowadays people use the word triggered. You know, the word triggered has been used in uh, behavioral sciences for decades. It, it used to mean when you're triggered, it's when something reminds you of a past trauma. Something happened, and it just brings back that pain. It alerts your mind. Now, the definition for triggered is changing. It's evolving, you could say, to where now being triggered is when you hear or see something offensive. And it may not be intentional. Someone may not even know what they're doing, but you are offended. Well, what causes people to be offended? What, what causes us to be offended? And more importantly, as we look at the passage, what causes people to be offended by God, by His truth, and by the Scriptures, by the church? What causes people to be offended by Christians who are not attacking anybody? And there are some people who call themselves Christians and they do attack, and that's horrible. But what causes people to be offended by the truth and by God our Creator and by the church who stands with the, tr the truth? Well, Jesus had interactions with people that I think highlight and, and give us insight into how this works. And I want you to think beyond, don't think of people out there, think of yourselves. In your own relationships, have, have you been offended recently? Has someone close to you wronged you, you feel, and you feel a little antagonistic against them, you feel distant, you feel like, I don't want to talk to them. Have you been offended in your relationship? This may bring insight to why and how you are offended and uh, the way this works. So there, there's really multiple levels working here. As we look at Jesus's story, this is more than just Jesus with his people in his hometown 2,000 years ago. This is us here today. So in Matthew 13, if you want to turn there, I'll read it. Uh, Matthew 13 is toward the end, starting in verse 53. This is a story of Jesus in his hometown easily offending his neighbors that he grew up with, his community, his people. They speak his language. They look like him, eat like him, act like him, talk like him. They have the same upbringing, the same traditions, the same food, everything the same. He offends his own people. Why did that happen? So, Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. 
This is talking about the, the Galilean region. And he, he starts walking westward, maybe a little northwestward, but he, he starts walking west toward Nazareth, not too far from, from the Sea of Galilee. He went into his hometown, that's Nazareth, and began to teach them in their synagogue. A synagogue is like a building, like a community building where you would go. That's where all the juicy gossip happened. That's where the talk of the town happened. That's where you talked about Scripture during the Sabbath. And every Sabbath on their Saturday, they would meet together because no one was allowed to work. And he would teach in the synagogues. Well, he would teach even in his hometown. And they knew this Jesus because he grew up in their town. This was a, this was a fellow guy that everyone knew. So he went to his hometown, he began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. They were astonished, surprised, and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? That's an interesting question. They know this guy, but they feel like they don't know him at all. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. How are you going to be offended at a man that's just telling the truth and doing cool stuff? Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. If all Jesus did was teach the truth and share the love of God, how did he make enemies? Who would be offended at a man who's healing people and teaching about God and about love? How can you be offended by that? People are still offended today, aren't they? Well, we'll we'll walk through it and just look at the progression of how easily human beings can be offended and how it works. The first thing we notice is their skepticism and how it's fueled by pride. If you know what skepticism is, it's when you hear something and and at first you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this can't be true. Wait a minute, this isn't isn't what dad and granddad or mom and grandma taught me. This person's teaching something I'm, I'm not familiar with. I don't know that I trust this. Verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. Remember what the parables are. Imagine if when Jesus went around synagogue to synagogue, over 200 synagogues in this region, when he would go around during his earthly ministry, teaching in the synagogues, especially on Saturday, he taught in these places and he taught what we think of as the sermons on the mount. It's really multiple sermons. He didn't teach that whole thing, everything in one sitting. He taught multiple sermons and he taught them everywhere. He went around everywhere teaching these. And you know, you've heard of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's name, that kind of thing. Blessed are the, 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 the poor in spirit. You know, Jesus taught these lessons. Well, he got done and he decided, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the block that I grew up in. I'm going back to mom's house. I'm going back to the neighborhood. And in, in Nazareth, in Jesus' hometown, He knew everybody. There was, what, 120 people that lived in Nazareth at this time? Everyone knew everybody by name. They knew all your background story. They knew the the funny stories, the gossip stories. They knew you. You did not come in quietly unannounced. This isn't a town like like Newton of 19,000 people. This is a town of 120 people. Everyone knew everyone. And so he went there and he began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. That means surprised. They were caught off guard. What Jesus was teaching 
was not what their preachers teach every Saturday. This isn't what their elders teach. This isn't something they've heard before. This is new. What Jesus is teaching about is not what they're used to. They were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Where did he learn these things? I mean, Joe, the old guy in town who's been teaching everybody, he teaches every other weekend, that guy's never said anything like what Jesus said. I mean, all of our teachers, no one says this. Have you heard this before? Have they said this about the law? No, no one teaches like this. And where did he get these miraculous powers? He's healing people. I've heard stories. He's been around the Sea of Galilee. He's been healing lepers and the sick. He's been touching them, but he's not made unclean. He's still going into the places and healing people. Blind men are seeing. Lame men are walking. Deaf people are speaking. He's doing amazing work. But isn't this... Isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph the carpenter, the masonry guy, the construction guy? Joseph the repairman in town? Isn't this just nobody's son? This, this guy, who is this guy? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Remember, Joseph, his stepdad, passed away by this time. That's why we don't see him. And, and uh, partly why his brothers disliked him, because Jesus was the firstborn son. And so the firstborn is supposed to take up and take care of mom and take up the family business and be the new carpenter, be the new masonry worker. But he didn't stay in town. When he was 30, his whole life changed and he started his ministry. So even his own family members are like, dude, he's a... He's a traitor. He left our culture. He left our, he, our family. He left our people. And, and who is he? Where did he get all this stuff? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? Meaning, uh, my kids have married his sisters, Mary's daughters. I mean, they're intermarried. It, it's hard. And today in our culture, we're very individualistic. I, myself, me, me, myself, and I, we're very like, this is my stuff, this is my space, this is my thing. But in this culture, 2,000 years ago, everybody was communal, and it was so much a worldview. I mean, you couldn't even think about yourself outside of your family and your tradition and your hometown. People knew you by your hometown. That's part of your identity, and that's important. It's part of who you are in this culture. That's their worldview. So what they're saying is, where does he get off saying this stuff that our elders don't say and we didn't teach him? Uh, some of the men in this crowd are older than he is. Who's this young lad, this 30-year-old boy, telling us what the truth is about God and how we ought to live? And they're blinded by pride. They're blinded by pride. Their identity, who they are, they're blinded by it. That's why they questioned. They saw Jesus and his family members as members of their own community under their authority, under their influence, under their teaching. So who was this Jewish mason construction guy? Who is he to elevate himself as authority and teacher over us? Where does he get off speaking like that? They're skeptical because of their pride. He's questioning their identity and who they are. And here's the relationship with us. When our truth, and I'm using that in quotes because that means our identity, anything we see is truth. This is who I am. This is, this, is, this is part of me, my soul, my spirit. When our truth is questioned, we're skeptical. 
And this is true for every human being. Everyone in here. I'm like this, you're like this. When someone questions our truth, they're like, hold on a minute. I don't, that's not how I was raised. That's not what I grew up thinking. Where does he get off talking about that? How does he have a different view on this? Who's he to say that the Bible means this? We're skeptical when someone questions our truth. We're very put on guard. We're very defensive. We can't listen objectively to truth and be reasonable when our pride is telling us, hey, you know better. You weren't raised like that. Don't even listen to him. Don't even take that in. Think about how this might work in your relationships with others. I'm married to a wonderful woman. I have a wonderful wife. She's smart. She's brilliant. She's pretty. All those things. She's all the things, all the checks. She's so wonderful. She knows me better than anyone in the whole world. There is not one person alive right now that knows me better than my wife. She knows my good, my bad, everything in between. She knows all of it. She knows me really well. But if she questions something that I just know is true, immediately I'm like, hold up. What do you mean this is true? Like, immediately, I'm skeptical of the person I love the most because if it questions my pride, immediately I'm on the defense. We can be that way in our relationships. How you are dealing with other people around you, if, it, if you're skeptical of what they're saying and you're not really hearing what they're saying, it may be because they're questioning something you identify as absolutely true. The second part of the story is their pride led to offense. And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. It just tells us clearly. He was questioning, he was calling them to repentance. Remember, they were offended by Jesus not because he was attacking them. He wasn't going around saying, you know, I'm going to get you. He wasn't, he wasn't going around being antagonistic, not most of the time. He did that a few times with the Pharisees. He did it a couple times with the disciples. But in this scenario, he's not going around being antagonistic, angry, hateful, nothing like that. All he's doing is teaching like what we would read in the Beatitudes or the Sermons on the Mount. He's teaching them what love is really about. You've heard that, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you, you've committed adultery in your heart. He's telling them things to set them free, to not be in bondage. He's trying to teach them things about the love of God and about who He is. But here's the deal. The truth of the Bible will always call you to repentance. There's always a sense in which we need supernatural help to change. We have to change. When you read the Bible, you shouldn't read it going, dude, I just kill it. I just do all these things already. I'm just holy. I just, I just want all the things God wants, and I just always do the right things. If that's what you're thinking, one of your biggest sins is pride and blindness. There's no way you're really like that. Each of us has areas of our lives where we're broken and, and we, we're ignorant. We don't see things the way God sees them. We could be selfish. We could be proud and not even realize it. And Jesus was calling them to repentance. Think about in the world right now. Have you ever shared a biblical truth with a friend, uh, a neighbor, a loved one, and all of a sudden they got mad at you and they were offended and you're like, all I'm doing is sharing the truth. All I'm saying is in the Bible it says, and they just hate your guts and they're so mad. And you're like, how can you say that? You, you're so antagonistic. You're so this and that. 
and they call you the enemy. They say that you're hateful because you don't agree with them, their identity. And it could be anything from gender identity to personality to tradition to how you grew up. You question their identity and immediately they're offended by you, even if what you're saying is loving and true. And so they were offended by him. The way this connects with us is when our pride is wounded, we're offended. When our pride is wounded, we are offended. Now, some of us are mature, we have self-control, and we don't show our offense. We don't necessarily show people that we're offended, but it's what's happening on the inside. We feel offended because someone has wounded our pride, something we take as important, like a truth in our lives. And this can be true in your relationships with anybody, your neighbors, your church, your spouse, your family, your kids, your grandparents, you name it. This could be true in any relationship. When your pride is wounded, you're offended. And when your pride is wounded and you're offended, your offense will lead to hostility. What we see in their situation in his hometown is when they were offended, they became hostile. They became became antagonistic. They started fighting Jesus in a sense. Um, And I'll show you that. So in verse 57, And they were offended by him, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor. Think Think the idea of dishonor. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You know, Mark 6 tells us he did a couple of things, but most people didn't trust him. They didn't believe in him. Their unbelief led to dishonor. In Luke chapter 4, There's a similar story. Some people think this is the same event. It's just told from a different perspective. I don't know. People are really divided on this. Is Luke 4 the same as Mark 6 and Matthew 13? I don't know. It seems so similar that it might be the same event. Either way, it's the same town. It's his hometown, Nazareth. So in Luke 4, 28, it says, When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. Do people get enraged anymore? Right? Have, have you ever seen something shared on social media and thought, I think that person's upset now? Have you ever like, got that feeling like people are just, oh, I'm not happy? Well, people are the same they've always been. Folks are folks. We've been this way for thousands of years. They were enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. Now, I've been to Nazareth once, and I've been to this cliff, and I could tell you what wasn't happening. These men weren't like, ooh, we're going to bruise your knees. We're going to throw you over this rock. That's not what they were thinking. This is a cliff where if you fall down it, there's a good chance you ain't ever getting up. You're just dead. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him over this rocky, edgy piece of the cliff to kill him. Now, let me just ask you a simple question. Was Jesus teaching anything, anything that would be offensive in such a way that he should get the death penalty? No. You could read the New Testament. You could read every word Jesus ever said. Did he say and teach or even do anything for that matter that people should murder him because of it? No. But isn't that like folks? Isn't that like us when we're offended? I think of, um, you know, I think of kids, because I, I have five kids, and I think of children, and I think about how, like, uh, when they do something wrong, right, you catch them doing something wrong, and they're like, you're so hard on me, and, 
and that punishment's too much, and, and I think you're too tough on me. And they just do something small, and you're like, yeah, yeah. But then when their sibling does something to them, how do they act? When someone wrongs them, off with his head. You know, take all his stuff, burn it, give it to me. You know, like they're just immediately, you know, I just end it for them. You know, in our nature, when someone wrongs us, even if we just perceive the wrong, even if it's just a perception, we want, we want them to pay. And we become antagonistic and we become an enemy. When we're offended, we become hostile. And that's what happened in Jesus' day. That's what happens today. That happens in our community. That happens in our country. That happens in our own homes. This happens with me. When I'm offended, if I'm not humble and teachable, if my pride is blinding me and I can't listen and I can't hear, I become hostile. And I might be passive-aggressively hostile. I might have a smile on my face when really I'm being hostile, but I become hostile. And God intends it to not be that way, for us to not treat each other that way. And Jesus' story really highlights this. If they will treat Him that way, they will treat us that way. And not just them versus us. If human beings are this way, how are we like this? Have you ever been hostile toward your spouse or a friend or a loved one because they wounded your pride, they offended you, they said something you didn't like, they talked about something that you held dear to your heart as a truth? Pride will hinder our ability to listen and learn and grow. If our pride is hindering us, then Jesus' teaching will offend us. And Jesus' teaching does offend people. If I were to go out in Newton right now and share just certain simple truths about what God said in His Word, about marriage, about honoring your mom and dad, about loving your enemy, about treating the poor. If I were to share this, there are certain people that would want to shut me down. They'd want to silence me. They'd even want to hurt me. And all I'm doing, all I would be doing is sharing the truth of God. What's also true is in the church I've seen this play out amongst believers, amongst husbands and wives, amongst friends and neighbors. They divide and become hostile to one another because they won't forgive an offense. A root of bitterness is taken up and they don't want to forgive. In our community, in our church family, there's a lot of hurting people. There are marriages in this community that are suffering because of offense and pride, because of unforgiveness. There are people, there are family members that won't even talk to each other anymore. There's churches, there's people in church that no longer talk to each other because of issues like this. Is it God's design that we will let our offenses Keep us from loving one another. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask a, a particular prayer, a request to you. There are a lot of people that are hurting. They're in turmoil. Their lives are, up or, are upside down. Their relationships are torn right now. There's people in our own community that are dealing with this. If you know God, if you're a believer, and you desire for people to be reconciled and 
and hearts to be healed, will you please pray along with me that God would do a supernatural work? Because no man or woman's going to be able to fix this heart problem that we have of making an enemy out of sometimes the closest people to us. I'm going to kneel and pray. I'm not even inviting you to kneel and pray. You do not have to kneel right now. I'm going to kneel just because this is my habit. It's just a custom. You don't have to have it. And I want to ask that you please pray along with me. Heavenly Father, we, we know that we need your supernatural help. I know that there's people in this room that have been offended and hurt by people that they know, relationships, even relationships across, across states and borders. There's been severed relationships because of pride and, and questioning and hurt. We just need your help. We want to love people like you love people. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. Would you rip away the, the biases and the bitterness, the, the traditions that have, that have not helped us or no longer help us? Would you help us to be humble to your word and your teaching to change, to be more like you. And I just want to lift up the marriages and the friendships in our community that desperately need your help. We need your help. I need your help. We cannot do it without you. We can't win one battle without the strength of your spirit, without you moving in our own hearts. And so we just repent. I confess my own pride and my own bitterness, my own unforgiveness, my own lack of compassion and mercy, would you heal me and, and restore me and, and remove that, that sin in my own heart and life? And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would, you would be gentle with those that are lowly in heart. They need your help. They're suffering. Would you be gentle would you be merciful? And would you help Grace Community Church be a place of real grace and mercy and love? We can't do it without you. So we pray for the work of your spirit. Each one of us needs supernatural sanctification in our own lives. So we confess this before you and we ask, would you help us to bear one another's burdens? And would would you come and, and do a work in us? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.